Hey everybody, it is January 22nd, 2017, and this is your episode 77 of At Percussion. We have a super full house today, so I'll start with all the regulars that are here. We have Laura Black. Hi. And Megan Arns. Hello. Ben Charles, how's it going, buddy? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you, Casey? So we're going to, oh, just fine, thank you. So we're going to start this new thing where we maybe try to invite some co-hosts in, and we happen to have... Just, you know, three extras today. <laughs> so we'll start over there with Megan is her grad student, Anna Provo. Hey, Anna. Hello. And over here, uh, my my grad student in his podcast shirt, Caleb Pickering's back. <laughs> hey. And, of course, Brandon Arve, we've had on the podcast before, but he and I got chatting and talking all things podcast. And I said, hey, you should sit on this next one. So, hey, Brandon, thanks for coming back. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yeah, sure. So, listen, our guest today is the Director of Percussion Studies at Stephen F. Austin State University. He frequently tours universities and high schools, both nationally and internationally, to present recitals, workshop, workshops, masterclasses, and clinics on various topics, including electroacoustic percussion, contemporary marimba, concert snare drum, marching percussion, percussion ensemble, steel band, and world music. He's the new chair of the PAS Health and Wellness Committee, and he's our friend Brad Meyer. How's it going? Hey, hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. And coincidentally, he's another person in Texas, and Caleb is here for another person in Texas. So. <gasps> Thank goodness. I felt I felt that there was something good going on here, so that's why. Right. You people I think from Texas. Texas need other people from Texas. I think it's <laughs> three in a row, right? Yeah, three in a row, three Texas. Yeah, yeah unacceptable. So, Brad, what's... Uh, <laughs> What's what's new, man? What's going on? Well, just uh, growing the beard. You know, that's what's new in the world of percussion. So uh, that's about all that's happening. Everybody's talking about it. Yeah. If you're not growing a beard, you're wrong. <laughs> I've noticed there is a certain look with a lot of contemporary percussionists, and I'll cite some of our friends in So Percussion that a lot of people know. And it seems to be there are a lot of big beards, kind of that mountain man look. Would you guys agree with me? I think I think it's the evolution of the mustache because the previous generation, everyone had a mustache, like Jim Campbell, Mike Rosen, Bill Mersh, Gordon Stout. Mm. So so We're we do have back to two... a Brahms beard, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I hope someone uses this podcast in a dissertation. <laughs> well, I, I'm taking it off of the. Um, there was the movement, the the lumber sexual that came out a little while ago, and SFA, our mascot, is the lumberjacks. So I figured, you know, if I want to get tenure, I better look the part. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Have to get the plaid shirt. Oh, it's back home. It's uh being oh. ironed. Oh yeah, you bought you. Let Caleb borrow it. <laughs> He's from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> they have they all share clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well uh, Brad. Yeah. Uh, the new stuff in in the world, uh, I guess, for me was um, uh, last week. I gave a solo recital of four pieces, and three of them were premieres. And really excited. A couple people that are on this podcast were also part of consortiums on various pieces. <laughs> So uh, it was a it was a really fun way to start the semester. It's something that I do uh, in the fall and spring. First day of classes, I do either a solo recital or a duo recital with the sax professor here, Nathan Nab. And uh, I just I love it because I can practice all break, come back, do the recital. Kind of gets the kids 
going, gets them in gear, gets them going. All right, you know, it's not just syllabus week. It's actually time to start practicing and getting stuff done. So it was really neat to do a lot of premieres and get that recital kind of done and show the kids some new works. Well, please tell us more about this commission. I saw Anna and Megan did a high five when you said that. So I'm <laughs> guessing Megan and or Anna are on this yeah, commission, this consortium? Yeah, it's, uh, well, the one that they're on is the one with Alexis Bacon, who uh, is a great composer that I met at the Interlochens Art Camp two years ago, which is why I had this snazzy blue <laughs> shirt that I now realize that I'm wearing. you're in uniform. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, so I met with Alexis while I was up there, and it was really neat. I, I kind of connected with her because she did some uh, commissioning works with uh, who, uh, Paul Beyer up at NIU and saw some of that stuff, and I was like, that's the type of stuff that I want to do more of. Greg Beyer. Or, sorry, Greg Beyer. Yeah. What did I say? Paul, Paul, the other one. Paul's a Clemson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Hey, but I can't tell you how many times I've said Greg Meyer <laughs> and Brad Beyer. <laughs> That's a circle. Well, and him and I have shaved heads, so that works. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, uh, well, well what exactly is this piece written yeah. for? Is this sax and percussion? It's uh no. This was my solo recital that I did this semester. So this was a vibraphone piece with tape, and it involved a little bit of um like shaker playing where I used kashishi. And it also involved playing on some snare drum and kind of uh, dealt with a lot of subject matter from this uh, spoken language, Native American language, uh, Ojibwe, and a really, really interesting backing track. And uh, I really enjoyed the piece. I thought it came together really well. And uh, yeah, it was just, a, I think it was a really timely subject too with all the Dakota pipeline access stuff going on and thought that uh, it might connect with some people even, even more than it normally would have kind of being timely cool yeah brandon you have a question don't you oh shoot uh you're you're muted i think brandon can you hear me yep gotcha okay that was my fault so uh i don't know if you guys know this but brad and i both went to uk for dmas um and you know there's sort of been a little bit of a pipeline after you finish here and so like brad was at center college for two years right uh just one one year okay yeah. um you were doing i think did you do the ckyo thing too yeah the central kentucky youth orchestra yeah, yeah. so you know after you finish the dma uh, it can be kind of interesting you know you might go straight into a job you might go into a freelance thing you might do something completely different um i know that you did a bit of freelancing as soon as you got out so I've been kind of interested in this topic of uh, like the side hustle. Do you guys know this term? No. It's very millennial of you, Brandon. Yeah, I know, right? I don't know about this. So it's like if you had a main gig, but then you had something to supplement some income or you know supplement an interest on the side. Um, I kind of think of it kind of like the freelancing stuff that I do and a lot of other people do, of course. Um, so like, what were some of your, if you will, side hustles when you got out of school? Uh, whether it was your undergrad, master's, DMA, whatever, that kept you in music, you know, and paid some yeah. bills and whatever. Well, it's, you know, this is, I like this, because uh, Brandon and I actually know each other from way far back, because we both knew each other from South Carolina, and we also yep. met uh, before that as well. So we've kind of <laughs> been around for a while with each other, so it's been yeah. pretty awesome. 
so the side hustle thing is, I you know, it's that's just kind of a new to new term for an old thing that I think we all do. You know, it's the picking up church gigs and and doing stuff uh, that makes money that you wouldn't necessarily put on your CV or resume. And I remember, uh, you know, in, in my master's, I didn't have a whole lot of that. Uh, I was kind of focused on the school stuff and. Um, I guess my side things would have been teaching at uh, Madison Scouts and Blue Stars, but uh, you know I didn't really have too much on the side. It was only after I graduated from uh, UK with my DMA, and I was kind of in that limbo area where a lot of uh, post DMA people find themselves, where they're, you know, you don't have any experience, and so you're trying to find a job, but every job wants you to have experience. So it's that catch twenty two thing, and so uh, I was teaching at Tennessee Tech when Eric Willie was there as an adjunct for a semester. I taught the center college thing, which was really just one day a week of teaching like five or six non-percussionist drum set and then trying to wrangle like trumpet players and flute players to be mm. in a percussion ensemble, which, you know, is really interesting because you do your DMA and you envision yourself teaching all these amazing undergrads and graduate students that play percussion at this high level and then your first gig is teaching students that aren't even percussion which is actually why i uh i wrote this compilation through uh bakovich called b radicals it's kind of my little tap space recital uh that i wrote for those specific students and so you know that turned into a published thing years later uh, years later so that was kind of on the side as well and then i teach at uh dunbar high school where um, Brian Morgan, who's another ex-alumni person in Lexington, teaches. And, uh, you know, just try to do anything I could to make money while still getting as much higher-end exposure. Like, you know, we made a, a large chamber ensemble called Explorium that went to Taiwan and played a week-long festival over there. Uh, tried to play with as many kind of duo people that would allow me and was applying for everything so you know the side hustle i think for me being post-doctoral stuff was all about trying to get exposure and you know work on that cv and get that experience that all the jobs are looking for while still you know being able to eat and live and, and do all that stuff that's kind of necessary right so how what kind of advice do you have for people that might be in that position um you know kind of out in the world and like how do you approach somebody to say hey we should do this thing together oh like man just give up yeah just give yeah. up if you don't have a beard it's not worth it get that beard a <laughs> yeah put that on the resume no uh, it's all about perseverance and uh, you know it's something that i teach or talk about a lot with my students there's no better time than now because you know we got people in various stages of their career on this podcast and one of the things that you realize the more you get along into it, which I know I'm not terribly old, I'm only 33, but I can look back and see I already, I had the most time then. And now I'm just like swamped and I've got everything to do right now that doesn't really deal with those things that we generally think of as our careers. You know, when you're in your doctoral stuff, you're like, you're just thinking about how great can I play? And, you know, when you get beyond that, you're like, man, I got to teach all day and I got to submit proposals and stuff. So it's, uh, it can be exhausting. And, and, you know, when you're out of that DMA, it can seem kind of like you're frozen, but in actuality, you have the most time to do whatever you want. So exhaust yeah. yourself. Like, yeah. You know, advice. yeah. Like when I got out of school, um, 
you know, kind of looking around like, how can I piece this thing together so I don't have to work at Arby's, you know, eight hours <laughs> a day. Um, and I started to think about all the different skills that I had, you know, what skills do I have? Which ones don't I have? What are my strengths? Um, and I've been doing a lot of podcast listening and book reading recently where they say, you know, focus on your strengths. You know, there, there's so many times I think in music, especially in performance, that we think, um, you know, well, my my whatever, my drum set playing is here, my marimba playing is here, so I got to bring it up. And we're constantly trying to balance out the strengths and weaknesses. But at a certain point, uh, as I discovered anyway, for me, it's been important to focus on the strengths. Would you agree with something like that? Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, when we think about strengths, you know, in that post-DMA world, you're you're on a shoestring budget and like life's coming at you full force and you're out of your realm because you're not in school anymore so you got tons more free time and you feel guilty about doing the things that you used to do because you should be making money but you don't want to be working at Kroger to make money so you know the big thing for me uh, especially with people that are in that kind of situation is you know money will come later and it's stinks living on a shoestring budget but just try to do as many things artistically as possible and then if you have to do things to make money do that but you know i see so many people that just kind of get out and they're like well i need to make money because i'm an adult right now and it's like well yeah you're an adult but you also have all this great education and you're just going to go and be a, a starbucks barista or something and just kind of flounder about you know it's like get out there and one of the things that I did was I went to Transylvania U University, which sounds like it's out of a vampire movie. <laughs> and uh, right, it's Transylvania University is right next to UK, and and I <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I met uh, the electronics professor there, and I I didn't know him at all, and I just introduced myself. I was like, hey, I'm out of school, but I'm in town. You're into electronics. I'm into electronics you want to write a piece for me? And we just kind of formed this weird, not duo, but like partnership where he'd write me a piece and I'd perform it and we'd record it and then he'd submit it. And, you know, I'd try to get funding and he'd try to get funding and we'd go play ICMC or go to Seamus. And uh, it was really interesting. But if I was, you know, trying to bag groceries and work at Starbucks just to make the the comfortable ends meet. You know, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that you don't have to make a ton of money. You can live off very little and have a lot of free time to put towards what you actually are investing yourself into doing, which is to, you know, have an active performance career, which will hopefully develop contacts, which will hopefully help you land those first jobs, which then land you to next jobs. So you got to kind of keep your eye on the prize, as they kind of say in a lot of sports stuff, and don't get so involved with, you know, working too many side hustles that are just to make money because you know you could be a lift driver all day long if you want but then you're just sitting in your car not practicing could you um could you tell us about uh those collaborations with the electronics professor and maybe give us a com composer's name that we could look up uh yeah his name's tim polishek and he's the uh i think it's just electronics and com composition person at Transylvania U University. He wrote a couple pieces for me. Uh, the first one was a drum set piece, and it was called Echoes of Steel, and it was for drum set and electronics, and it kind of harkened back to the 1920s, or I guess it was 
1940s steel boom where, you know, lots of high rises were going up and a lot of that, you know, the kitchen of the future and really neat audio clippets that kind of take you back to that very specific kind of caricature-esque time of, you know, radio announcers and the boom of industrialization. It's a really neat drum set part. The, the reason why I like it is because it's not really written by a, well, it's not written by a drummer. He's, uh, you know, a composer and not that he doesn't know about percussion. He just, you know, when you get to a certain level, you don't know what falls idiomatically. So he writes some stuff and it's a little funky how it lays out, but it sounds really neat. And so I, I kind of enjoyed the, well, this isn't how I'd write it because as a percussionist, you're thinking, how can I move fluidly around it? And so these kind of like little uh, interruptions of your natural flow make it a really interesting and fun piece I found in the long run to play. Early on, I was like, this sucks. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's what I think actually made that piece fun was how it didn't lay well. Mm. And uh, then he also wrote another piece, uh, which... I, I just played at the New York uh, New York City Electroacoustic Music Festival this past summer, and uh, it was called Engravings for Prepared Snare Drum. And uh, one of the cool things that a lot of UK drummers know about, and hopefully a lot of people know about in general, is uh, the drummer from Wilco, is Glenn Kochi, and he has this really cool modified snare drum that he uses for uh, his multi-piece uh, monkey champ. And so I kind of took that idea and just made my own version and he dug it and he wrote this kind of Max MSP iPad um, kind of synthesizer thing that took the sound and ran it through and you could adjust in real time how much reverb, if there was a delay, if it was a wet sound, a dry sound. It was really interesting because it just allowed the performer to be in control. And then on another screen you had all these uh, graphs that related to different types of, uh, it was things that related to Kentucky, like annual rainfall or economic growth or job stuff, just stuff that had interesting graphs that you could improvise off of and, and kind of make the piece have some sort of, uh, written, but not strict compositional process too. So more, more free form. I love Glenn's stuff. He's a genius. Yeah, Glenn's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Brad, I had one more for you, if that's cool. No. Uh, just Next. A, no? Okay. <laughs> next. I'm going to mute myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, so to go back to this, uh, like, side job thing, you know, I just, I do a lot of thinking on this stuff. Uh, not just for myself, but I try to do some clinics, uh, you know, talking about you know, what can you do while you're in school to help uh, set yourself up for post-graduation time, you know? And as we see this more and more every year, there's more and more people graduating with these degrees in performance and education and whatever, um, and so few jobs. And so, you know, we keep talking about the side hustle. This concept is just going to keep growing and growing, of course. So uh, maybe a two-part question here. Like, what skills do you find it important for making it after school, not necessarily musical ones, but what skills do you find important? And uh, maybe what classes or events uh, that happened to you or that you were a part of in school prepared you for your time as a freelancer? What was that, what was that second one you kind of cut out there? I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, so like what classes or oh, events class. in school? Yeah, yeah, 
Okay. So, yeah, how can you well, use what you're doing in school? It's that bibliography class, right? Like, that's the one. <laughs> Get that, that dissertation done. It's that one that spends MLA like eight hours a week on, like, like Chicago-style versus ML. Absolutely. No? The sample book. Sorry, I don't know anything about DMA. Or the comps. That really helps prepare you. Right? It's all that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, uh, so the first part of that was um, skills in regards to maybe music or, or stuff outside. You know, I think uh, the biggest part about music isn't isn't necessarily how talented you are, like how fast you can play your paradiddles is kind of like how I overly romanticize that. You know, if you're a DMA, it's kind of an assumption that you play well already. Like, if, if you're a DMA, you, you played well because you got in a program. I don't know any programs that accept DMAs that are, well, they're not a very good player, but we'll give them a shot. It's like, you're not going to make it if you're not a good player. I think the biggest skills of... <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that's just my... <laughs> ben just typed JMU, just so everybody knows. <laughs> you're only insulting me. <laughs> I know. You just, no one else is offended. Just, He's not... You're just insulting Caleb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he wore this shirt again for you, Ben. Everything I do is for you, Ben. <laughs> Anyways. Um, but the, I think the biggest skills that you develop in your DMA is personal, personal relationships. Uh, one of the biggest overarching parts about music is it's not about necessarily how great you play. That's, that's a rather, not small, but not a huge part of your overall thing it's you know developing relationships and with people and communicating i think one of the best things in terms of skills is joining our ensembles or small chamber groups or duos like making them or finding people at different universities because we all get into our own microcosm if you know i was at uk so it was very easy for me to try to just stay with my UK people, but instead I was fortunate enough to meet uh, some people through uh, Brian Mason, who was at Moorhead State University, and that led to that Explorium group, and through that Explorium group, I met several people who all taught at Stephen F. Austin, which I had never heard of before I met those people, and my playing, I, I believe, is part of the reason that they said, you need to come down here for what was a one-year adjunct uh, internship or, or replacement uh, you know they're like you are super prepared and really easy to work with and you just you just seem to be the kind of guy that would be great at this job and I also had the experience of teaching at Tennessee Tech so that helped on my CV but I think it was the personal skills that while being in that chamber group I showed I could be a great colleague if I get the chance and I think that that's the skills that you should really work on in your DMA is not just trying to get A's in classes because that should be a given being a good performer that should be a given it's you know this is your pre-career and getting A's in classes is great but that's not really your career your career is dealing with people I mean that's why most people get fired from college jobs it's not because they couldn't play paradiddles fast enough it's because they rub people the wrong way it's because they yell at someone in a meeting instead of being calm and acting scholarly or mature and trying to handle it or just having differences of opinion and being able to work through that without it being this, you know, personally offensive situation. So I think that those are some of the skills that you can definitely work on when you're at the end of, or in your DMA or after your DMA is get into some, uh, get into some ensembles and show people I am a good colleague 
and it you know being in ensembles is great musically and and it's those connections that help you build a career rather than you know i do a lot of stuff on youtube but i don't think anyone would ever hire me for a job because i play on youtube I don't know. I think you've recorded literally everything in the repertoire. <laughs> I'm working on. Yeah, how on many it. YouTube videos do you have, Brad? I I, I don't even know. I I, I was over 200 say, on your channel. I saw, yeah, but I think a lot of those are are those, some of those are your students too, right? Yeah, I, I do I do some recordings of like percussion ensemble in my steel band. I'd probably say 80 to 100 are solo stuff, and the rest are stuff that I've conducted or my students that I've taught. So in some way relates to me, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just been a nice thing for my my life that I enjoy doing. That's well, cool. what you were just saying about this, um, you know, personality is really important. It reminds me when we had John Parks on and we were talking about applying for jobs and what it takes to get one of these gigs. And I said sort of what Brandon just said. Wow, there's so many people with these degrees and there's more and more and there's so few job openings. And John Parks kind of said, no, man, you know, 70% of those people are assholes. <laughs> I think that's literally I believe that's literally what he said. It's like, well, you're right. Yeah, that is true. So so yeah, it probably seems overwhelming and it seems really, you know, disparaging, but you know, you think, okay, maybe only I mean by his number, maybe only thirty percent of those are like actually competitive against you. And how many people would that actually be? We would you get uh, on the man, it was kind of scary. I mean, on the Benjamin Fraley episode, we did talk about adjuncts and higher ed and uh, uh, DMA and PhD degrees, and we did have some actual numbers on those. But um, the source we were drawing from didn't have a separate DMA versus PhD. It was just higher ed in in general. So, not sure, but at least it's not as many as it, it, it appears. We definitely know that. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of people get hung up on the CMS uh, thing, like there's four jobs a year open. There's so many jobs that open up, they're just adjunct or, you know, they're not listed. So, you know, yeah. that should hopefully cheer some people up. Yeah. You know, by the way, are you guys familiar with the wiki pages? Yeah. So like, yeah. there was, because I... Also, I'm into ethnomusicology, and when I first started to look for jobs, I did a master's in ethnomusicology too, and so I was like really casting that wide and thinking like, okay, well maybe, maybe it would be something combining the two. So I was looking at the ethnomusicology wiki, and when I was applying for jobs, there was not a percussion one. So I think this is fairly recent. I think Jeff Berudin might run it. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you seen yeah, it? Yeah, I think Andy Bliss like seven or eight years ago started one he probably took it down because oh I, maybe after, after he got a job i think he kind of let that maybe uh get a little out of date so he might have taken that down yeah. but I, i'm pretty sure he had one originally too well, there's a very active th like thorough one right now i think jeff berudin has posted on it a lot um so i'm sure if you just google percussion wiki you can find it but there's a lot of stuff up right now um and i guess two things one is as i think reminding people that you know, probably right out of your DMA, it's, I think people think that getting a full-time tenure track pr position only teaching percussion is like the only way to go or the only thing they want to do. And, you know, there are a lot of great jobs out there that can lead to other things. And Brad, when you mentioned earlier, it's hard to get a job without getting teaching experience, but you can't get teaching experience until you have a job. I always thought that was so frustrating when I was first starting to apply. And you really just have to Sometimes you're not going to make a lot of money, you know, te teaching adjunct or teaching 
a percussion methods class somewhere or something. So could you tell us a little bit more about when you got to SFA and you were in a one-year position, how now you're in a tenure track position, probably nearing towards going up for tenure, I would assume, maybe? Kind of. Midway. How did that job transition? Yeah, uh, you know, and I, I love that idea about, you know, not necessarily thinking that you're going to get that I'm only teaching percussion le- lessons and percussion ensemble gig. Like, that's the gig a lot of people, they're like, that would be my dream gig. And those exist, but they're super hard to come by, especially for early career percussion teachers. Uh, you know, one of the things that I was encouraged and, and kind of I wanted for myself as well as in my doctorate, I kind of realized, oh crap, there's a job crisis. So I, I was like, you know, there's got to be something else that I, I like about music besides just percussion. And so I got what's called a, a theory, music theory pedagogy certificate, which mm-hmm. is like a step above a minor in your DMA. So it allows you basically for people to hire you and say, you could teach freshman or sophomore written and oral theory if we need you to. And actually, while I was in my first year here as just an adjunct, I was still applying for jobs because I wasn't tenure track. Mm -hmm. And I actually went to a place where it was a theory and percussion thing. And it was labeled as percussion instructor who could also do some theory. That Mm -hmm. situation was a little weird because I got there and I realized that it was actually a theory coordinator who could also teach a couple percussion lessons. Oh, wow. But, I mean, at the same time, I would have definitely taken that gig if I didn't have anything else on the plate because that's right. still great experience. And it's something that would lead me to the next step. And, and you know, it's it's just like degrees. There are steps after your DMA that lead you to probably where you think you want to be. And so if you want that just percussion lesson and just percussion ensemble gig, well, there's probably going to be two or three gigs in between your DMA and when you get there, if you're lucky enough to get there, because those are the gigs that are only listed on CMS. You know, those are the big ones that everyone's like tenure track, want DMA preferred, masters required, you know, needs 40 years of experience. And you know, <laughs> that's what you get when you, you look at those posts. Yeah. Um, but in that first year of my uh, being at SFA, I was basically hired on uh, as the percussion instructor who was a one-year replacement for the percussion guy, Scott Harris, who moved up to being the interim director of the school. And so they were doing the director of the school search. And so I didn't even think I was going to be here because that search could have gone any way. He could have gone back down to the percussion position. I didn't know. So it was really up in the air. So I was really applying for a lot of stuff. And uh, he took the job at Western Kentucky University being the chair there. So that that was good for me about halfway through the year because I knew at least the job would be open. So uh, they asked me, they're like, well, he accepted the job kind of early spring. It'd be a little rushed to do a percussion search. Would you stick around for a second year? So in my mind, it was a no-brainer. It's like get two full years of experience at a place and hopefully have an inside track of the job that I like here or sure. you know, at the time, the job that I like here that I still like now. And uh, so I was – like, yeah, I'll stick around for another year while you do the search. And uh, they did the search, and I was just lucky enough to win it and got to stay here. And I love the gig here. So uh, it just, it's like one of those things, you know, you just, like I was talking about, I could have played it really safe because my call to come here for that first year, I got, I think, like August 5th or 6th. And the 
school semester started like August 20th. So I had two weeks to get from Kentucky to, you know, Nacogdoches, Texas. We call it the NAC, you know, if you're hip. We call this the burn. Nice. We call this Como. <laughs> this is Caleb. Got a picture glass. <laughs> I don't know what but, to do anymore. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in, in Kentucky, I had kind of a safe thing going on. I was kind of doing what Brandon's doing right now, which is I was teaching at Center. I was teaching Dunbar High School. I was teaching at the local drum shop. Uh, what's the drum? Is it Drum Center? Yeah, Drum Center of Lexington. Drum Center of Lexington. I'm not doing that, though. Yeah, but I just couldn't remember the name. And, uh, you know, so I had like these gigs that were going on that I was making money with. And I was like, man, should I give up this, you know, not great, but at least steady thing and move all the way to Texas, which is 14 hours away, and maybe risk only being there one year. And I kind of got on the phone with people and they're like, you're an idiot if you don't take this. Like, it's teaching full time at the college level. You know, moving's moving. It sucks. You're going to do it many times throughout your life. Get down here and do it. So I just kind of made the choice and, and, you know, rolled the dice. But in my mind, it was the next logical step. It was, you know, this is the next phase of what I eventually want to be doing, which, you know, I'm fortunate enough that here I get to teach private lessons, percussion ensemble and steel band. You know, we've, the studio has grown so much that we now have a marching percussion instructor who also teaches percussion methods. You know, I enjoy teaching those things, but, you know, it's one of those things where I could kind of craft it in whatever way it needed to be. And I, I love my job here. It's it's fantastic. That's cool. Laurel, did you have something or did it pass? I did. Well, it would kind of turn us to some of the articles and things that Brad's written about and, and clinicked about recently. So it, I, I thought about this question while we were talking about the side hustle and how you just say yes and you do as many things as you can because I think there is a tipping point when you've said yes to too much and then you you're you're not helping yourself anymore and this is fresh on my mind because just this morning Casey was like honey you are too stressed out we have to find something that you're not going to do now (laughs) um and I know Brad that and we all know like when that overwhelmed feeling comes it's burnout and I know Brad that you've written about this and you talked about it at PASIC this last year and you know, I'm curious, as with all things like this, did your interest in how do I get rid of this come from experiencing it yourself? Was it just something that you don't experience and therefore thought you had some wise words to say? Um, yeah, that whole topic, if you please. Yeah, I've, I've never been burnt out. You know, I've, I've always been able to do everything. So <laughs> it's been pretty easy. It's the beard. <laughs> yeah, Dude. the superpowers of the beard. Yeah, that must be why I get burnt out because I don't have enough facial hair you can work on it i'll give you some i'll cut this off and you can glue it on (laughs) (laughs) now uh yeah you know i i got into the subject of burnout because uh i i got i've gone through it several times throughout my life and i think everyone does uh there's two sides to this coin i think the first side that's kind of i'd be remiss if i didn't mention is a lot of people don't push themselves to their max. They get uncomfortable and they'll give up or, um, you know, something's not going quite the right way and it just really gets them down and they, they totally switch paths instead of kind of 
trugging on and, and trying to see something through, you know, I, and, and that's why I have a hard time talking about burnout because I am the typical person that I will burn myself out to a crisp and then I'll the next day be at a conference talking to everyone else about how they shouldn't burn out, burn out. So it's like, you know, it's this double-sided coin. So I really think that burnout, it's a part of being a musician. It's not necessarily something that you want to never get into. It's something that we, if you're really a good musician or a good music educator, you're going to find hopefully yourself burn out because you've got so many opportunities that you've agreed to do. And, and that's when you can then start to figure out if you need to back off stuff and how much. So, you know, for me, I've kind of, I've kind of gone through burnout several times in my life and, and I don't think I actually knew I was burnt out. I just at times thought I was overly stressed out and would push myself uh, further than I maybe should have. But uh, I can remember, you know, in the middle of my DMA, I was really burnt out had personal stuff going on, had school stuff going on. This whole idea of, you know, well, there are no jobs, you know, that that alone, you know, that's not even a real thing that was happening to me. It was just this idea of, well, I'm mm-hmm. doing all this and I'm never going to have a job. So this kind of self-defeating de- uh, circle, circular logic, you know, ruminating on something that I can't control. And so I remember in the middle of my, my doctorate being really burnt out, uh, I remember after my doctorate being really burnt out again, you know, I kind of finished my doctorate and I was like, yeah, I did it, you know, and that's a big check off on the list. And it's kind of one of those life signifiers. I did the thing and I, you know, kind of got rejuvenated by it. And then I spent a year until I got the the one year gig here. I spent that whole year doing all these gigs that I just hated. I hated teaching drum lessons at the drum center. I hated teaching high school marching band. Uh, I hated driving to Danville to teach at center college you know, and, and it wasn't that these were bad opportunities. I was just making them bad. You know, it's all about how you think about it that makes something good or bad. You know, looking back on it, I wish I had just approached those things with such a better outlook and, and not things that I had to do because I was trying to build my resume. But like, these are things that I got to do. I got to teach the center college percussion ensemble, which allowed me to write a whole collection of pieces that got published. And I learned more about teaching trumpet players percussion ensemble music than I have like teaching a you know senior in college who plays great teaching them like you know reflections on water you know you just stretch yourself in that different way that you never thought you would so I think it's important to frame what you're doing and if you're burnt out a lot of the times you can find out that you're burning yourself out and and it's because you're approaching whatever that is with that negative mindset of well, I got to do this. You know, I, I'm going to be presenting at uh, the Texas Music Educators Conference, and this will be my third conference for the year. And I might do a fourth one at the uh, National Conference for Percussion Pedagogy. And this will be the second time because I'm doing the same clinic I did at PASIC at, that I'm doing at Team Yay. So it's the burnout clinic. And it could just be another one of these things where it's like, oh, just got to do this so that I can get tenure. Once I get tenure, everything will be perfect. The clouds will open up. And I can, you know, disc golf for the rest of my life and have the best life ever. And so, so can I ask Brett, you a question about that? You're a big disc golfer, aren't you? Yeah. Nate told me you're ridiculous. He's uh, he's he beat me yesterday, so I I was. I've got oh, to he's there. He's here. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Nate so who? fill everyone in real quick. Okay. Nate Gorick is um, a percussionist who Brad and I taught with at Interlochen. 
And um, he visited Mizzou right before PASIC and rode to PASIC with us and gave a clinic. But he's teaching adjunct, right, down at nice. SFA this semester with Brad. Yep, he's teaching some lessons and percussion ensemble and doing a music lit class. We're really happy to have him down here. It's been Very pretty cool. sweet. He's new on the health and wellness committee, right? Yep. Cool. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a familiar name. And so is Laurel. Yay! <laughs> hey. Health and wellness is funny because um, maybe you were, I think you were just hinting at this, Brad, but you kind of feel like you're lying. Like if you're writing about, here's how to like get rid of your anxiety. And then you wake up in the morning and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you just feel like you're lying. Like you're just a complete fraud. <laughs> absolutely. I, I Absolutely. I, um, it's, and and I, and I think yeah I might have gotten a little off track but that's that's exactly what I think about when I think about health and wellness stuff is like a lot of the people that care about health and wellness or you know talking about mental health or people that talk about physical health are people that have been on the polar opposite side of that spectrum you know I, I talk a lot about um, mental health simply because I now realize how poorly I took care of myself mentally throughout a lot of my education and even after my education. And it's only in that hindsight that I try to tell people, here are the mistakes that I made, here's what you can do. And, and you realize you're throwing that out totally hypocritical because you know when people say the, the big things, eat healthy, exercise, and sleep, everyone just, their, their eyes just kind of glaze and they're like, yeah, I've heard that my whole life, whoopity-doo. And it's yeah. until you do it that you realize how much it helps your, you know, eating right and sleeping and exercising help your mental health more than your physical health. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you do feel hypocritical standing up in front of all these people telling them to be healthier. But it's only because on the other side of that spectrum, I've been on both ends of it. You know, I now I work out and I try to take care of myself, but I've been on the other side where I've been 30 pounds underweight and I've been sleeping two hours a night and I drank coffee and then my other staple was, you know, cold coffee. So it's like you, you get those sides. Gosh, that's bad, Brad. Cold coffee is a morning drink. Hot coffee is more midday Uh, nighttime. uh, Yeah. How long have you been a yogi? Uh, you know, I'm not. all about the, all right so this is part of what we're talking about exactly and it's that hypocritical thing but, but no it's, i, I kind of so you guys into... make stuff up is that what i'm hearing <laughs> right you on guys just makes the pas just <laughs> makes stuff up i feel like i just outed you it's gonna be all over the news i'm getting on i'm getting on the twitter right now we need more peer review here yeah well and and that's what i thought too when it's funny you bring this up because i uh at that time, I was trying to get into some workout stuff. I was talking with this one person who was telling me to, uh, do, to do weightlifting, and I was like, kind of getting into some cardio and doing all this stuff. And I was like, yoga, that that sounds like I should give it a shot. So there's a professor here that teaches um, mu- some music theory, and she's a cello player. Her name's Sherry, and uh, she co-wrote the article with me. And it was really me collaborating with her. She She mainly had the the essence of the article, I was just telling her, like, here are the things that I experience or would like to get better. How would you, as a yoga instructor or yoga master, whatever you want to call it, would approach these things from a person that's a teacher of yoga? And so that's why I wrote the article. And I've got like six YouTube videos of her, a yoga, you know, instructor teaching me, a guy who 
had just started doing a tiny bit of yoga. And I was like, this will be perfect because I suck at yoga. I haven't really done it. You're great at yoga. So if I look horrible doing it, everybody else is going to feel like it's okay because they, they at least don't look as stupid as me. <laughs> so that's kind of where that all came from. I was just trying to find ways of, um, you know, the article talks a lot about like sitting positions and standing positions and sitting on a stool behind timpani positions. It was all stuff I've, I've since learned about from her and used in a lot of my teaching for my undergrads and grad students and high school students. But that's why I wrote the article because I started to get interested and I just found someone who was knowledgeable on it. Hey everybody, Casey here. I'm going to stop the episode now. Thanks so much for listening. We'll continue with part two next week. It turned out to be a pretty long recording, so I thought it was worth splitting it into two. Uh, It's been really fun having everyone joining us and have such a full house. So thanks everybody. See you next week.